Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring designers of Forge in the Dark games. I'm Justin. And I'm Ray. And we'll be your hosts for today's episode on position and effect. Uh, today, we're going to sit down with Ian Hart to talk about their game, Death Wish. Welcome, Ian. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? Good, good. So you are actually doing another podcast with us, an actual play of Death Wish. I wonder if you could talk to us about what Death Wish is and maybe even a little bit about your, your actual play and how that's going. So as far as what Death Wish is, that's been a challenge for me to define. The tagline I've come up with is an alchemy industrial frontier adventure. Because the setting is alchemy industrial and in that it's like a 1890s, just getting started industrial setting, but with alchemy, magical elements that have very specific scientifically studyable effects. And then it's a frontier adventure in a way that's sort of patterned after the Western genre, but without the American West setting. I feel like I can see the fictional world in my head right now, because I feel like there are other properties that have done this before. Do you, do you, do you have any in mind that you use for touchstones in your game? So for some inspirations, Skull Kickers uh, is a good comic for the ecology, uh, Delicious in Dungeon, uh, also known as Dungeon Meshi, is a, a manga that was a big inspiration for a lot of the monsters, fungus, and animals that exist in the world and use the alchemy there. That almost surprises me, because my, my understanding of your game is it has, has kind of a dark bent to it, a gritty bent to it. I love Delicious in Dungeon, so it's, it's surprising me to hear that as inspiration. It makes me more interested now. Yeah, I could see it. When I imagine the world when I'm playing, I'm always thinking very bright colors and kind of anime, larger-than-life creatures and characters. At least that's sort of my interpretation and, and I guess the theater of my mind. Yeah, I think of it as, as a pretty positive setting. Uh, death is a feature, uh, as you can guess from the name, but the heroes die only heroically. There's never any, you know, just you drank the wrong potion, boo, you die. Ian, how long have you been working on Death Wish, and is this your first game? I've been working on it for, uh, I think we figured out the other night that it's four years I've been working on the setting, and I've been making it a hacked in the dark, uh, or a uh, forged in the dark game for the last uh, two years, I believe. You know, if if Forges in the Dark Games started getting called Hacked in the Dark Games because of this podcast, that wouldn't be a bad outcome. No, not at all. <laughs> we do have the uh, awesome blacksmith sounds in the beginning, though, so we're trying to lean into that a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah that's that's right. Good point. I don't know what the hacking sound would be. <laughs> yeah, I, like an old uh, 28.8 modem, like, meh, 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 meh. You cannot begin a podcast with that. <laughs> <laughs> Only for hardcore fans. So have you, what is your experience with designing games, if any? Or is this kind of your, your initial? I, w I would say extensive. My experience with publishing games is nil, but I've been designing games since I was a little kid. It's just what I do with my free time all the time. That's awesome to hear. Who did you subject your games to growing up? Oh, my, my whole circle of friends. I mean, really, that's that's more how my circle of friends even started is it's you know, people who, who want to play my games. So is it fair to say that community is really important to you in, in your design work? Yeah, extremely. And I also am a big fan of tailoring the games to the players. 
So, you know, oh, I know this player likes this and this player likes that. And so all of those go into each game I'm going to design. So I'm curious, Ian, what was your ludology or sort of your genealogy of games that got you to Blades in the Dark? I know I know that I, I was just fascinated when I saw the Kickstarter. Uh, I don't remember who showed it to me. I think I, I just, you know, Twitter circles or something like that, that it was it was moving in the same circles. And so I was very excited to play Blades in the Dark when it finally came out. And a big part of it was position and effect, which we'll talk about more later. But I just want to say that as soon as I saw it, it clicked to me as, wow, this fixes the big problems I have with Powered by the Apocalypse. So what were your problems with Powered by the Apocalypse, if I might ask? Yeah, so I was... I w- thought the system was really fascinating when it came out, because I was not so happy with a lot of the other published games at the time, way too mechanics-heavy on things that didn't make for an interesting story. So the problem I had with Powered by the Apocalypse is that, for me, the most interesting part of games is seeing how the players can solve problems. And in Powered by the Apocalypse, That always felt flat to me, is that whether you came up with a a clever solution or the most boring solution, you roll the same number of dice and you pick from the same table of consequences, effects, and results. Uh, And so for me, that, that always just felt flat and arbitrary. So Forged in the Dark really appealed to me because you've got position and effect, and so if you are punching a guy, you're going to have a lot less effect than if you say, oh, I pick up a chair and I bash him over the head. And you could even have even higher effect if you're going to, you know, pull out a gun. It actually matters. Yeah, uh, I definitely say position and effect is kind of one thing that really sets Blades in the Dark apart from other games. And we'll get into that more later. So, Ian, let's talk a little bit about Death Wish. We went over what the game is about and how does Death Wish accomplish the pitch? So the big pitch for Death Wish is that it's a game that makes players feel clever. So I tackle that in a bunch of different ways, starting from character creation. You've got a lot more options than your standard Forged in the Dark game offers. Some players would say too many. But you've got a whole list of special abilities from the ecology document, which lists all of the the kinds of creatures in the world. And I've done my best to make it so players can play as any of them. Then you've got your playbook, which has its own list of special abilities and items. And then with Dabble, which is one of the actions, every die you put in that lets you unlock another playbook and get access to all of those special abilities and all of their items as well. So the potential for customizing your character is extreme, and you start with a lot more special abilities and action dice than most Forge in the Dark games let you start with. So you you can really build a big character. So having played Death Wish and for a couple of hours now and really sort of sunk my teeth into the system, I do find myself looking at my character sheet and thinking about all of the options that I have because of the items and because of the various special abilities. And I do really feel that every single time we go into an encounter, it's very much like almost a tactical puzzle box where we sort of have to figure out how best to maneuver and how to really balance our resources. And that's always at the top of my mind 
in terms of the metagame when, when we're playing Deathwish on stream. Yeah, another difference from other Forged in the Dark games is that every encounter in Deathwish is pre-designed. I sketch out the entire area where the mission will occur, major NPCs, and especially the antagonists, and Tactical Puzzle Box is exactly the feel I'm going for. My reading of the game kind of led me to have a feeling of it as almost a video game in some ways, and I mean that in the kindest possible way. You have a lot of options, and it's about like what you can do in any given moment. It's very combat-focused, but there's a lot of fiction that can happen inside of that combat. Is that accurate? Yeah, I'd say absolutely that there's a, a big combat focus, and role-playing within that combat is how you win. One thing that I think somebody said on the AP the other day is that Deathwish is a game where you face impossible odds and then win anyway. <laughs> and I think that, that really gets to the heart of it, is that if you just treat each encounter as a pure combat encounter, most likely everyone will die. But by role-playing and finding opportunities to recontextualize the encounter and to use your big toolbox of items and abilities to change the rules, you can find ways to, to win against those impossible odds. I would say I definitely agree with Justin's assessment in the best way possible as well, where every time we play an encounter in Deathwish, it does feel very much like a game that we're playing and you know we have our pool of resources and we're managing them we're trying to balance all of these different elements while trying to maximize our outcomes and i would say that amongst the forge in the dark games that i've played it ranks amongst the most crunchy probably right up there with band of blades and it seems that ian your your gming style you really do lean into the mechanical side of things as well is that fair to say yeah, absolutely. And I, I hope to convey that to other GMs through the rules, because in a game where death is on the line, where the PCs could either win triumphantly or all die and fail completely, I like to keep things as fair as possible. And I do that entirely for the GM, because as the GM... If I ever feel like a situation is, is unfair or that it's up to me to decide, I'm going to side with the players. I'm going to make it way too easy. And so everything in the rules and mechanics is there to force me as the GM to play the fiction honestly and to actually make the situation desperately, impossibly dangerous. Nice. Yeah, I think that definitely comes across. Two of my favorite features of the system are the Nemesis system and the Focus system. Could you kind of go into those systems a little bit more? Yeah, I'll go into Focus first. And this has to do a lot with how I lay out the ecology document, which is the, the document that lists all the monster types, but also it, it can be used for humanoid antagonists. And what Focus is, is a replacement for the Forged in the Dark system where enemies can just throw out consequences when the GM wants to make them threatening. For example, if you're facing a master swordsman, he might disarm you before the fight even starts. And I think that's a good way to show threat, but again, I've got that problem as a GM where I don't want to throw out those arbitrary consequences if I don't have to. And so focus sort of forces my hand. Each NPC with a focus chooses a target for that focus, they can focus on themselves to defend themselves, they can focus on a player to try to put pressure on that player, or they could put a focus on some other objective. 
like a magazine full of ammo or a cannon or something like that. And whenever a player takes an action that interacts with that focus, the NPC throws out a consequence at that player before they even act. And even the level of that consequence is prescribed in the the enemy's stat block. For example, a Kraken is a big monster, but it only throws out controlled focuses, which are pretty mild, but it has the special ability to focus on the whole battlefield, so it's constantly uh, interfering in small ways with everything the players do. While, for example, a dragon has two risky focuses. So if you get it to completely focus on you, it's going to hit you twice for risky consequences before you even get to take an action. I like that. Yeah, is that a hint for uh, next session, Ian? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Speaking of which, I wonder if you could talk to us about the game that you're playing in our actual play series. It's our first game for our actual play series that's going to go along with this podcast. And I wonder if you catch our listeners up to speed if they, in case they haven't caught it yet. Yeah, the town that the protagonists have chosen to defend is on the back of a gigantic beetle in the land of Ildathok, which is a world on the other side of the mirror where biology is much easier. And so creatures can grow to gigantic sizes without being impaired by all the usual square cube law problems there. And the protagonists are dealing with a force of revenants, big bug monsters who go around turning people into zombies and then zombies into more revenants. What's a good episode that you remember? Let's talk about the Death Wish actual play we just completed, the Kraken encounter. That was something, facing the Kraken that has focus on everybody. That was, I don't think anybody at that play table had experienced something like that. And let me tell you, that Kraken was a big pain in the butt dealing with those free consequences. Even though they were controlled consequences, it was so annoying having to consider everything we did up on deck to cause a consequence. And I thought that was really interesting in terms of the tactical puzzle aspect of it. So yeah, could you go into a little bit about sort of how you design these encounters and what do you think makes an interesting encounter? Well, the main things that I do for the encounters is I try to balance them. Because again, I, I tend to side with the players, and so I've set some pretty strict requirements. I actually have antagonists in the game sorted into categories. There's common antagonists, which is your generic mook enemies, call-out antagonists, which are ones that are worth mentioning explicitly to the players. This might be, oh, they've got a guy with a rifle who's watching you from the roof, or that guy's wearing a big suit of armor, so he's tough. And then elite enemies above those. Those are NPCs who have their own name and personality, and they tend to be really tough. They're more likely to have a clock and some trick or special ability. And then barons are the, the highest class of normal enemy. Usually you'll only have to deal with one of those per mission. Barons are very strong and have a bunch of special abilities, tricks, and at least one unique feature that the players will probably have never seen before. The Kraken in that mission, for example, was a baron, while Captain Tanner and his first mate were elites. I've not felt nostalgic for the days of balancing Dungeons and Dragons 4E encounter, but you're, you're kind of making it happen here. I'm surprised. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get that feeling too. I never played 4th edition, I just read it, but in terms of the tactical battleground and, and all of that, I mean, I gotta say, I really love Focus as a mechanic. It reminds me almost of Magic, the Gathering, when you have things on the stack and you can counterspell and you have the instance goes afterwards, etc., etc. Just thinking about fictional position mechanically like that where okay this is going to happen no matter what i think it's a really really cool mechanic and i think a lot of forge in the dark systems could incorporate it to add another level of granularity and danger or excitement to their encounters yeah i definitely agree and i hope more people start using it i've recommended it quite a few times on the hacked in the dark discord to developers who are looking to make their antagonists more dangerous yeah, the way you describe that battle with the Kraken, it almost sounds like they have an ability that makes them act in some ways like an environmental disaster. Yes. Which is a really cool feel to have, especially for like a large enemy like that who can who can really affect the battlefield in, in a variety of ways. Yeah, and I do think that encounter is a perfect example of the impossible odds sort of situation, because if the players had just used the items and abilities on their playbooks and just tried to attack the Kraken directly, they surely would have all died. They really stood no chance. But because of clever problem-solving, I don't exactly want to spoil the ending of the episode, but they managed to find a way to uh, complete the encounter despite the odds. In Blades in the Dark, it's often noted that Blades is a very player-driven game. It gives a lot of freedom to its players to decide what happens next, what to do, and to negotiate the consequences. It sounds like Deathwish is trying to kind of lay out very clearly what the players can and cannot do so that they know where they have the freedom to push against those rules and, and to break them. Yeah, it definitely makes a big point of laying out what the players can do. And I think that's a big part of the very complex character creation is here's dozens of items of all the different kinds of alchemy. Here's all these special abilities you can choose from, all these creatures you can be, because I want the players to have a wide toolbox of here's exactly what you can do as the basic tools, and then I try not to be too heavy-handed about what they can't do, mm. because I want players to then combine those tools in interesting and innovative ways to overcome challenges in ways that nobody would have predicted beforehand. Yeah, and we've had conversations in the past about Death Wish. Is it OSR, old school revival, or old school renaissance? And in some ways, it, it feels like it is because there is a high degree of lethality and the rules as written are very much prescriptive rules that govern what the GM and the players can and cannot do. And in terms of allowing the players that freedom, the fruitful void of when there's a lack of rules or when something isn't written down, that's really what you're gunning for creatively as a player because that's where you can get away with most of the crazy creative stuff. Is So that's basically by design? Yeah. The design is that a lot of games outside of, of maybe the more traditional space where everything has to be an explicit action or you just can't do it, they all have a lot of creativity as an option, all the, the PBTA games. And then the thing that I think Forged in the Dark really adds and that I really emphasize is the evaluation of that creativity that turns it from just free-form ideas into problem-solving, is you can actually say, oh, okay, this is a creative idea I've had, but oh, it doesn't really fit 
fit my character, or, oh, this is a creative idea I have, and you've got a tool that lets it be even better. So yeah, let's go with this, because this is going to get us up to great effect, or up to extreme effect. So wow, this is, this is really a good plan. That sounds to me like maybe a good transition point to talk about position and effect with Deathwish, but also more generally. That's our topic for today. For those who don't know, position and effect is a shorthand for a mechanic in Blades in the Dark, whereby before every roll, we negotiate how risky something is and what reward the player will get when they act. So Deathwish, it seems, has a pretty rigid position and effect system, but that can be gamed. Blades in the Dark is a little more freeform with it. What are the commonalities between how position effect works in Blades and how it works in Deathwish, and what are the differences? I see them as being pretty similar. The big change is the replacement of quality with threat. And so in Blades in the Dark, your quality, which is based on your tier, is how good your character's equipment is at something. And it's a pretty gradient scale where, you know, you might have something that's better than the gang down the street, but worse than the gang two streets over. It's it's very granular. And I, I didn't find that as interesting. And so I replaced that with the threat system, which is just about how big and dangerous something is. And it's a much narrower scale. Humans are threat two in the system which just make good sense for the math. And then a huge dragon, the biggest antagonist in the game, is only threat five. So it's only a three-step difference. But going up and down those steps is a lot harder than it would be to go up and down in quality in Blades. There are no uh, fine items in Deathwish that just push you up a level. One thing that's really important in the position effect conversation at the table is the fiction. We're talking a lot about how mechanically th different abilities and elements of the game can affect position effect, but often it just comes down to, to storytelling. How does that work in Deathwish? I tend to start with the mechanics as the baseline, where you would usually in Blades in the Dark want to start with the fiction as the baseline. So if somebody is saying that they've put a bunch of investment in, and so their character can wield a big threat three sword, well, I'm going to want to say that they have the exact appropriate effect level for that. If they're using the big sword against the threat three monster, they're going to have normal effect. If they're using it against the threat four monster that a normal person couldn't even hurt, they're at least going to start with limited effect. Then they can bring in the fiction. That's where the player can say, okay, well, I'm going to charge at the monster, so that's going to give me worse position but greater effect. Or somebody sitting back with a revolver is going to say, oh, I've got zero effect to start with, but I'm going to spend some time aiming, so I'm going to improve my effect by reducing my position. Or I'm going to get a setup action. Setup actions are a big deal in Deathwish, and they do work significantly differently from Blades in the Dark. In Blades in the Dark, a setup action can either give you exactly one point of effect or exactly one point of position. In Deathwish, that rule is thrown out, and instead, it can have any degree of effect and any degree of position. If somebody is going to throw down a smoke bomb and completely hide you, you can go from desperate position all the way to controlled position immediately. 
or if you're shooting at an enemy that you're having zero effect or less than zero effect against and your teammate says all right i'm gonna spot that barrel of gunpowder over there roll it down so it's next to the enemy and then you shoot it that can jump you from less than zero effect all the way up to extreme effect from just one setup action and that's where a lot of the tactical and creative feel of the game comes in i think it's so interesting because especially what you talked about in terms of the mechanics leading the fiction or the fiction leading the mechanics because with something like fictional positioning and position and effect it really is a two-way street where sometimes one informs the other but sometimes the other informs the other so to speak and i'm curious as to your position justin and just to let's let's talk it through because we've been talking about this a lot on the channel recently where do you think position and effect and fictional positioning comes into play and what's your what's your kind of stance or opinion on the mechanic and the discussion as a whole that's an interesting question it's a big one but you're right we have had a lot of discussions about it recently i think personally for me position and effect is the heart of forge in the dark games and i say that having played a couple of games that downplay the effect <laughs> that has on play but positioning effect essentially is just a formulation of what we do as storytellers. And it also kind of establishes how Blades in the Dark and Forge in the Dark games see the relationship between the GM and the players. In Blades in the Dark, players have the ability to negotiate for the fiction. They have the ability to say, hey, I don't really quite see it that way. I think I should have better effect, or this isn't as dangerous as it seems. And not only that, but the position and effect conversation allow them to take a step back and revise their approach if they don't like the outcome. If the GM says this is going to be a desperate situation, the player can nope out of that conversation. And that tells us a lot about what Blades in the Dark thinks of consent in gameplay terms and about the ability of players to establish the fiction. Yeah, I absolutely love that part of the system, and that is a significant amount of the runtime of, of any Death Wish game that I'm in as player or GM is, all right, so here's my plan. Uh, okay, that'll be limited effect, desperate position. Oh, okay, I might have to rethink that. <laughs> yep, I do joke that Death Wish oftentimes... I just assume my natural effect is going to be minus two for any action that I can think of, and I have to think <laughs> yep. of ways to push it up. So that definitely rings true to my play experience with the system. I am a little bit on the opposite side, where I love position and effect, but I think that it is very much a codification of the conversation, and I think we're all in agreement with regards to that, but I think sometimes that talking about the situation with the position of effect terminology underpinning it can be enough to inform the fiction but i do think that it can oftentimes be very very helpful in establishing a certain tone or a certain type of game as with death wish and i certainly enjoy having those protracted conversations about what the fiction and positioning is of the characters and how might we possibly increase our effect or increase our position. And I think that certainly adds to the lethality and the overall caution that I have as a player when engaging in Death Wish. There's something to be said about speeding up that conversation 
I will say I really enjoy having that conversation. To, to my mind, a lot of the fiction actually happens inside of the position and effect conversation where players can explore what their character can do early on and what they can't accomplish easily, what they're willing to spend as far as resources, whether that be stress or, or whatever resource you have in your hack. And I really like being steeped in that stuff personally, but I have seen some hacks that have kind of gone in a different direction and tried to simplify that conversation. And I've also seen a lot of people start out their experience with Blades a little confused by how much time that conversation takes and, and perturbed by it and kind of right. skip over that element because of it. Yeah, I think that's a real shame when I see that happen because at my table, I've definitely had players approach with not understanding position effect and just saying like, all right, I want to attack the dragon. Here, I'm rolling the dice already. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We've got a, a conversation that we need to have first before you roll those dice. But so far... I've been very successful in getting people on board with it, especially when I frame it as I'm explaining the situation. You're in this bad position. You're having this low effect. But now this is your opportunity. This is your tool to reframe the situation with your abilities, your items, and your creativity as a player to turn it into the heroic and clever story of how you overcame this problem, not just the story of how you rolled some dice and came to the result. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to be said about how in games, often the story we tell ourselves after the game is over, can kind of account for all that stuff in a really fluid way. I know whenever I've had a good session, it doesn't really matter to me how many times we had to, we had like a hiccup or whether we had to revise the fiction a little bit. The story I tell myself later is just about what we actually established was true. Yeah. And so in retrospect, even if some of these mechanics surrounding position effect can feel clunky or take some time or require some honing, after the fact, the story just feels really smooth and good if, if you've got all of your design down and, and, and the mechanics are working properly. Yeah, yeah. My design principle since way, way back when I was just starting out in making games has always been to tell memorable stories. And I think that the, the problem-solving approach is really good for that because it means that the players have to be creative and be fully engaged in the fiction to be able to find these opportunities and solutions. And so at the end of it, you always have a very unique story about the players finding their own solutions to the problems. I would say I can remember every Death Wish game for the last several months. I can remember pretty much every story beat. And for the last several years, I can still remember I think most of the sessions, just because each one was facing a completely unique situation and coming up with a completely unique solution that isn't the same as any other. Yeah, I will say that everybody at the table in our current actual play, we, we all have very strong system mastery of the Blades system, I would say. And I don't know about the others, but I suspect it's the same with them. But I play Deathwish hard. Like, I am min-maxing the hell out of everything when I'm playing that game because I don't want to die. And also, I know I have to because 
things are going to just cascade down into a crap storm eventually. So I, I know that that's going to happen within the encounters. And I know that I always have to maximize my resources. And I love the conversations that we've had with regards to the items and the fictional permissions that they allow us. For instance, Irma MK's character where she has a jump pad and we're always thinking like, okay, how do we best use the jump pad in this mission? <laughs> it's, it's always like, it's always going off that conversation about what we can do and, and how exactly best to approach this particular problem. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you say you're a min-maxer, because by the standards of some of my playtesters, I think your character would be like a, a goofy joke character compared to some of the ones they have. I know that one of the, the more interesting characters that we've had recently is a character called Mark One, who is a, a golem, and he's used the character creation options to trade away his entire max stress bar. Because there's an option to trade two max stress for an additional special ability for your character. And he's traded it all away. So he starts every mission already exhausted just so that he can min-max more synergies from the special abilities that trigger when your character is exhausted. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm a min-maxer, but within the framework of the character, like you gave us the option to change our characters between missions or to, to change up their, their options. Um, and I don't think anybody has, to my knowledge, actually changed it. Irma, Irma's revised some special abilities, and I think Jack moved some action dice around. Ah, ah, so I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is because I get kind of attached to my characters, and I, you know, I want to see them grow or, or lean into what's there. And I, I purposely made an unoptimized character, but within mm -hmm. the my unoptimized options i'm trying to play those options as as maximal as i can yeah i think that's the perfect way to play uh just last night i was playing a session with somebody else as the gm and i played a, just a thief character who had the nimble fingers and all that sort of thing and i had to come up with some very creative ways to stay relevant when we were fighting a phoenix in midair over our town but i did it <laughs> It sounds like you all are really enjoying this actual play game, and I'm a little jealous. I need to go back and listen to all the episodes now. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great time. Where can people check out Deathwish? Deathwish system, I'm currently sharing on the Hacked in the Dark Discord, and I haven't gone much farther than that. My future plans with it is hopefully to get it published through Evil Hat, and so I haven't taken any steps to sell it or put it out there on, say, Itch, but I'm freely sharing it with everybody in the Hacked in the Dark Discord. Yeah, the Hacked in the Dark Discord has been great. I think, a lot, I mean, all of us met on the Hacked in the Dark Discord, and this podcast itself is a production of the Discord. I know I'm really grateful in my development of Mothlight in particular, to the Discord for being able to kind of bounce ideas off of them mm -hmm. and also just participate in a larger discussion of the game. Like Ray said, we had a long discussion about position and effect just this weekend in leading up to this podcast about all kinds of aspects of the mechanic. And if people want to talk more about that, they can certainly join us there. Spanning two days, too. I mean, it was a two-day conversation. It was on Twitter. It was on Hack. There, there was a poll. Justin did a big old poll on Twitter. It was, we have empirical evidence. It was, it was a whole thing. But it's so great seeing, especially now that Blades has been out for a couple of years now, seeing 
all of the various things that people are doing with it because there's so much in Forge in the Dark. There's there's absolutely a crap ton of mechanics to parse through and you can be inspired by one aspect but not necessarily by another aspect or even if you strongly believe in sort of this philosophy, somebody else is taking it in the absolute opposite philosophy and that's cool too because it just makes for different games. So it's it's great seeing all of the cool and unique stuff that's coming up in the community. Yeah, it's absolutely, we were talking about um, how position effect is really core to the experience of Blades, but it's very clear from that poll and from hearing other actual plays that that is definitely not a unanimous point of view. There are, there are lots of people who just really like the setting mm-hmm. and just really like the dice pools and the resolution mechanic. And it's okay to enjoy that stuff and to maybe even skip parts of the position and effect conversation if that's your thing if you're having fun with that. I wonder what each of your takes on this is with your designs, but Blades is a very modular system. There's certainly lots of things you need to think about as far as cascading effects if you're going to take out something or modify something. But other than that, it's a really modular system. I came to it from sort of a unique perspective in that for years, Death Wish was run in a homebrew system that I created. And so when I ported it over to the Forged in the Dark engine, I dropped a lot of mechanics immediately just because they weren't relevant. I certainly didn't keep the prison subsystem or uh, heat and entanglements. I also dropped, which some people think is, feel is uh, pretty core to the experience. And then as I played it more, I ended up dropping actually a lot of systems. I took out downtime entirely, which for some people is their favorite part of the game. But it just didn't hone in on the core experience I was shooting for with Deathwish, so I ended up having to uh, remove it. Yeah, I am very proudly a Forged in the Dark developer. I think that Forged in the Dark is a beautiful system that is very, very intricate and very, very delicate at times in terms of the cascading effect you were talking about, Justin, where mm-hmm. you change one module and inadvertently four different modules get affected and you don't find out until you're looking at those modules and you're like, but wait, what happened? What have I done? And I think that it's, but that's what makes it so wonderful is because there's so many ideas within the system itself um, and it's almost like a philosophy right it's almost a, a way of playing more so than any one individual system and i feel like it's more difficult to hack than almost any other system out there which means that you might struggle with it at first but if you stick with it it'll ultimately be really really rewarding and my best advice for people looking to hack blades in the dark is play as much as you can because You can understand the rules just by reading them eventually, but through play, you understand things so much faster and it'll help you understand how everything works and fits together just by playing playing Forge in the Dark Systems. And if possible, play with a variety of different people too, because there's a lot of different readings of those the, these same rules that everybody has in front of them. The actual experience at the table can vary quite a bit just from different readings of those rules. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were talking about how Deathwish, you've been discussing whether it's an OSR game or something like that. And that was kind of my initial reading of it, too, before the actual play podcast. But I was I was kind of personally pleasantly surprised to see even if it has some aspects of that, it's not a strictly mechanically, you know, you don't you're not just choosing to move down the corridor and (laughs) hit it with your sword like in a lot of those games, even if that is a valid way to play it. This has been a really good discussion of both Deathwish and position and effect generally. I'm wondering 
Ian, if we want to find out more about you as a designer outside of the Discord, is there any website we can go to to download the game? Do you have anything to plug? I'm available on Twitter at at Antifinity. And so that's a way to reach out to me, but I haven't done a lot to publicize Deathwish other than sharing it out occasionally. It's all up in Google Docs, so everybody is seeing the live version of it all the time. Well, people will just have to click on the link in our episode to go to the Discord then, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that and listen to the actual play, of course. Yes, yes, <laughs> a great opportunity to get to know the system. What about you, Ray? Do you have anything to plug today? Yeah, you can find me online at, at Mythopians, M-Y-T-H-O-P-O-E-I-A-N-S. And I also have an itch, mythopia.itch.io, where I publish some little small games and hopefully some larger ones in the future. Excellent. Again, I'm Justin, and you can find me on Twitter at Mothlands, one word, or on my Itch.io account. You can find all my games, including Mothlight, my Forge in the Dark game that I'm developing currently at moth-lands.itch.io. And I suppose I do have one other plug today, which is just that if you're listening to this in the month of August, it's currently Move Month on Twitter as established by a, you could say a sister podcast of ours, Stop, Hack, and Roll. They're doing Move Month. And I know I am including some Blades in the Dark material in my own submissions, even if it is hedging the rules a little bit. I know that other people are too. So check that out on Twitter. Yeah, and one final shout out to the Blades in the Dark Discord community. I know we mentioned it a couple of times, but if you're interested in Blades in the Dark or you're interested in hacking Blades in the Dark systems, come join us on Discord. I'm sure the link will be below in the information. Even though we have different philosophies on what the system is and how to interpret it and how to best dismantle and construct it for our own games, I will say that it's one of the friendliest game design spaces on the internet. We may disagree sometimes on the systems, but everyone is super open and everyone is super encouraging on that Discord. And we would be happy to highlight your game in one of our episodes as well. So also be sure to check that out and and submit your game to be highlighted. Thank you for joining us, Ian. Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) This has been Hacked in the Dark. We're uh, a podcast highlighting Forge in the Dark designers, and we're a bunch of scoundrels uh, originating on the Blades in the Dark Discord server. Please be sure to rate us five stars on your podcatcher of choice. We have one other episode out already with me as the guest. Smash that like button. (laughs) 